Well, this morning, um, my attempt is to try and answer some of these questions that have been being debated for thousands of years. So uh, bear with me. In 25 minutes, I'm going to try and do what everybody's been trying to do since the beginning of time. So, um, but I do want to say this as we kind of head into some of these questions that I, we're going to attempt to dive into is that, number one, as Shannon stated last week, I believe the Bible to be the Word of God. I believe it to be true. In my seeking and in my finding, I believe that there is enough evidence given to me to give me the complete picture that He is who He says He is. Now, I know some of you in this room, maybe you haven't taken that journey. Maybe you have not been someone who has researched, who has dove deep into the things um, that God has put His thumbprint on across time. But I believe the Word of God to be true. I also believe when Jesus said to love Him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, He meant it. And that means, that includes the mind. And some of these things are going to be wordy, and I'm like, I don't know how to communicate this. But I believe that when Jesus said to love him with your mind, he means that even when we as human beings don't feel God, we know the truth. Because there will be times in your life that you do not feel God. But he's bigger and grander and more than an emotion. So that is why I believe that Satan will go after our mind. You know, don't worry about, don't worry about knowing things. Just, just feel it. And if you're like me, my feelings are stupid most of the time. But knowing the Word of God, standing on His truth, and that means, you know, preparing your mind. And so for some of you, this may be wordy, but for some of you in this room, I believe that the Lord is saying, come in close. Come in close this morning. And so I don't really have a, a, a nice transition into these questions. I'm just going to kind of dive into it. But I do want to preface it with one more thing, that I believe that truth is discovered, not created. I believe, and this is a popular view today, that you create your own truth. I do not believe that is true. I believe that you discover, you stumble upon, however it is, you come upon truth. As if, like, I didn't create gravity, it was there. I mean, somebody gave it a name, but I didn't create it. And for me to say, you know what, I believe that gravity no longer exists. That's my truth. Would I float away? No. I wouldn't. And I would find out the hard way if I tried to jump off of this building that that hold, doesn't hold water. So I, in, this, in this discovery of truth, that is where I stand when it comes to truth. I do not believe that we create our own truth. I believe that truth is discovered. And truth is a person. Jesus. And so we're going to dive right into these questions. And, and hopefully... Um, You'll bear with me as I try to, like I said, word things that have been worded for thousands of years and still discussed and, and, and chewed upon. So one of the questions that was asked was, what happens to those that have not heard about Jesus? What happens to them if they are to step into eternity without ever hearing of Jesus? And this morning I want to make sure it's very clear that we are not talking about those who cannot consciously make decisions, who maybe there is something that, that has happened to them or maybe they're at a place where they are not able to make decisions. We are talking about those that once they have heard of Jesus, they have the conscious ability to choose him or to reject him. That is who we are talking about this morning. Um, and I, I, I really do, I don't want to, these are tough questions, let's just, let's just say that. And there may be some of you in this room that are going to disagree with what I'm saying. 
But I do want you to weigh the evidence. Weigh what is said here and to trust the Lord that he is good. That's what his word says. And in this journey, hopefully, we'll discover this truth together um, through his word. So there is an opinion out there um, that, of those that do not believe uh, Christ. And there is also that, this opinion that there are many ways or that there, if, uh, there's like a, um, almost as if God owes it to someone because they haven't heard of Jesus, that he's just going to let them into heaven. And that thought sets in the church sometimes too. As if God weighs a standard differently with someone who's never heard of Jesus. And that's very difficult for some people to chew on, that God would hold us all to the same standard. That's a tough thing to chew through and on and to think about. But the Bible says this. Romans 1.19 says, They know the truth about God because He has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. Psalm says the heavens declare His works. Creation points to a Creator. Creation points to a Creator. Stay with me. Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 12 says this, Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise, no one is seeking God. All have turned away, all have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. The word of God clearly states that every one of us is under the exact same standard. Regardless of whether or not we have heard of Jesus or we have not heard of Jesus, the Bible makes it very clear that we are all under the same standard. Now, I know for a lot of people that can be a point of conflict. But what? Now, how? But that's not fair. You know what is fair is that none of us have a right to know Jesus. That's what's fair. We don't deserve the grace that Jesus has shown us. But it, there is something about this truth that, that is very difficult for us to swallow, that God would hold everyone to the same standard. Last week, Shannon talked about moral law. He talked about that there across the world, there is something written on the hearts of people for a sense of right and a sense of wrong. And when you're wronged, you're going you're to be the one that lets people know. That was not discussed some thousands of years ago around a table. Hey, let's send out a memo to the whole world that this is going to be the moral law. This is what we're, we're going to be, this is right and this is wrong. That was not something that happened. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it says, I have seen the burden God has placed on us all, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. This sense of right and wrong, the guilt that comes with doing something wrong, has been placed in us to point that we desperately need a Savior. I believe this is what the Bible means when God's kindness leads us to repentance. When you and I feel guilty for a wrong that we have done, that is His kindness showing us that we don't have it all together. That is His kindness. The Bible says that the law, the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, point us to the fact that we are not perfect and that there is only one way in Jesus. That's hard, to, that's hard to chew on, but I do want to say this. I do want to say this. I believe that this question comes from two different false views. 
I believe that when we stand and say, well, I believe God's going to hold us to different accountability. You know, he's going to, for those of us that haven't heard of Jesus, we're going to be held to a different accountability. For those that have, if you know Jesus, if you rejected him, if you heard about him, all these different thoughts going around. But I believe they're rooted in two false views that scripture definitely combats against. I believe that we think that sin is not as big a deal as it is. Scripture says that we have all sinned. And it is, it is a depth of, of, of something that we don't really grasp a hold of a lot of time. We don't have an accurate view of sin. I don't think we do. Because if we did, we'd be on our faces thanking Jesus for what he's done. It's amazing to me that, this, that, that sin, not having a correct view of sin, can keep people from trusting Christ. And the Word of God is very clear that sin is a very big deal. And the second one I believe combats that even more is that we have a false view of who, who Jesus is. I don't think we trust that He's powerful enough and big enough to speak to the hearts of people that have never heard of Jesus. I think we think that Jesus is just another person who just said some good things, some good teachings that are, He wanted to go across time. That is not who Jesus is. Colossians says that he is the creator who holds all things together. Acts chapter 17 says this, His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far away from any one of us. Jesus can prompt the heart of anyone he wants to. Jesus knows he's the only way to the Father and he's not stingy about it. Jesus knows that he's the only way. And I don't think we have a big enough view of who he really is. That he is the creator. He holds all things together. John 3.16, you guys know it? For God so loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus is standing as savior and he's not some weak Little man that just spoke some words that people were like, oh, those are good words. Those are good thoughts. That's chicken soup for my soul. <laughs> it's so funny because that's who we think he is. And there's a very different picture painted of him through the Gospels and through the New Testament that he is God, that he's the creator and that he is drawing men to himself. That is why there are people that give their lives for the Gospel. Because they are completely sold that sin is something we cannot defeat ourselves and that Jesus is really who he says he is. And that he's humongous and that he's drawing the hearts of people to himself. So, the standard is the exact same for all of us. And that is a very hard thing to chew on sometimes. It is a very, very hard thing. But we serve a God who is bigger than these questions. We serve a Jesus who's going across time, across the world, calling people to himself. And he, we just happen to get to be a part of it. That is why missionaries feel there is an urgency. Because they got to get the truth to everyone. That is why they go. Because they are convinced that God is as great as he says he is. So, there is a standard. 2 Peter 3, 9, 10 says this. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. As some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. There is this view that God is just waiting for people not to turn so he can just laugh about it. 
Like he's holding back salvation from people. It's not true. The Bible makes it very clear that he's being patient with you and I, your friends, the people of the planet, so that they might turn and not be destroyed, but that they might know him personally. That is the loving, holy, awesome God that we know. He is actively at work chasing the hearts of people who are not chasing him. That's truth. That is what the Bible says. Again, I don't have transitions really. I don't have some nice segue into the, the next question. But that, I think out of that view comes the don't all religions lead to the same place. Don't, isn't it, maybe you've heard it this way. We all come through different routes and end up in the same place. Or, or what about, we all follow different faiths, but they all lead us to the same God. All religions teach the same thing. Some great thinkers have stated that same exact phrase. Mahatma Gandhi said, my position is that all the great religions are fundamentally equal. What he's saying is, they made a few, the outward appearances may look a little different, but inside they're all the same. Ramakrishna said, truth is one. Sages call it by various names. He's saying that, that it's all the same. We may dress it up a little differently, but it's all the same. Another thinker said, the heart of so great a mystery cannot be reached by following one road only. Now here's the deal. It is a very popular opinion. And you know what? It's very easy to just nod your head in agreement. Because that seems like the right thing to do. It seems like the nice thing to say. It seems like, oh man, I can deal with that. That's, that sounds about right. Everybody probably, it's all going to end the same place. But in my mind, that view of God makes him sick and twisted. And my view According to scripture, that would be as if God said, you know what, there's 50 different ways to me. And one of those ways is going to involve the death of my son. But choose anyone you want. And here's the death of my son. To me, that is sick and twisted. That would be as if some, you were struggling with some disease and a doctor says, here are 10 choices, all of these which will cure you. One of those is going to involve the death of your child. None of you would choose that. For it to be true that there are many ways to God, in my mind, that makes him sick and twisted. But as I said before, I believe the word of God to be true. I believe it to be 100% accurate. I believe that it was Holy Spirit written and the men had a part of being able to pen it down and that God is described as a man, Jesus, not kind of God, kind of man, but 100% God, 100% man. And I could spend a whole lot of time this morning saying, you know what, I'm going to tell you all about all these different religions and different faiths and show you the differences. I don't have time for that. When the United States assigns um, counterfeit teams to figure out where counterfeit rings and money, you don't hear about counterfeiting money very often anymore. I don't know if it's still possible to counterfeit money these days. But when it was possible, when a team would be put together to spot counterfeit bills, they didn't give them every counterfeit bill they came across. They gave them the one $20 bill that there is. And those men studied that $20 bill like their lives depended upon it. 
Because they studied the one $20 bill, they were able to spot counterfeits. They were able to go, you know what? That's not real. This is the real $20 bill. And I believe it's that way in the uniqueness of Christianity. And to say that all religions lead to the same place doesn't even make sense. Because some of them don't even believe in an eternity. Some of them don't even believe that God exists. So how can they all lead to the same place when they don't go to the same place? I think these are just some logical questions that I sit down and ask myself as I'm reading these things. The uniqueness of Christianity. The Trinity. Three in one, not three gods. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We do not believe that there are three gods. They are all God. Co-equal, together. It's a mystery, I know. But that is the belief of a Christ follower. God the Father is fully knowable, loving, personable, and involved with us in this life. He is involved. He did not just get things started, wipe his hands, and back up. He is a God who is involved with his people. God is eternal. He's unchanging. He's holy. He's loving. He's completely perfect. As a Christ follower, I believe he is everywhere. He's in all things, and he's all-knowing. As a Christ follower, I believe Jesus, fully God and fully man, not mixed, but joined together. He is co-equal with God, the Father and the Holy Spirit. I believe that Jesus was born of a virgin by the Holy Spirit. Jesus lived a sinless life. He was tempted in every way possible, but without sin. Died a criminal's death and raised from the dead. Folks, if you don't think the resurrection is a big deal, you're in trouble. It clearly states that if Christ not be raised from the dead, our faith is in vain. As a Christ follower, I believe that Jesus died and rose again to save me from hell. No other religion on the planet teaches that sin can be forgiven once and for all by the substituted death of Jesus Christ. Sin is not forgiven once and for all. It is good works based everywhere else on the planet. All other faiths teach personal deeds and works determine your eternity, if they even believe in eternity. A very real heaven and a very real hell exist as a Christ follower. One life is given. We have one choice to make. Jesus is Lord or he is not. Christ followers believe that life is linear. There's a beginning and an end. Many faiths teach it's circular. You just repeat. One life to live. There's a very real beginning and a very real end. And Jesus holds them both. Life is about the forgiveness of sin, which we cannot offer ourselves, not being a good person. The Christ follower's cry is not, hey, look at me, I'm a good person. The Christ follower's cry is, I have been forgiven of my sin. There is a difference. And this is a hard one. But according to scripture, every one of us on this planet is not God's child. We are his creation. And there is something super special about his creation. But the Bible makes it very clear that as a Christ follower, I believe you become an adopted child of God when you give your life and your heart to Jesus Christ. To walk around with the opinion that we're all God's children is not biblically correct. We are his creation. We are prized above every other thing on the planet. But to be his child according to scripture is when you turn your heart to him. 
These are all unique to a Christ follower's beliefs. All roads do not lead to the same place. And I, I do want to make this very clear. I am not a right-wing, conservative, Bible-thumping, crazy fanatic. I mean, if you, if you think loving God and loving others is fanatical, guilty. But the point of that is that I am not saying that as a Christ follower, I am more special or greater than my Buddhist friend, than my, my, my Muslim friend, than my, my whatever friend. I am not saying that this has anything to do with me. I am not saying I am better than anyone, but I do hold to Jesus' mindset, and he was very single-minded in his life. Jesus was not closed-minded. He was single-minded, focused on the heart of God the entire time, and it drove him so much that he was willing to share the hard words with people. Because I believe that there is an absolute truth, and it's in a person, Jesus, I can't just sit on my hands and let people walk around going, yeah, it's whatever you want. But I'm not out there hitting them with a the Bible either. My heart is to live Jesus in every area of my life. Everything that I do, everything that I say is going to reflect Jesus. So please understand me when I'm saying I am not better than anyone on the planet, whether or not they've given their life to Christ or not. But if I believe something to be completely 100% true, and there's the historical and archaeological and all the different proof for it. Why would I sit on it? Why would I not share it? But share it the way the love of Christ compels me to. For too long in the church, it's been an us versus them mentality. And that is not the way Jesus saw it. And as a church, we have to be able to create dialogue on these hot issues. And on these topics. Isn't it okay to believe what you want as long as everyone's sincere in that belief? What if you just believe it as hard as you can? That'll get you there. Just believe it as hard as you can. Let me ask you this. If I was living back in Buffalo, New York, and there's a, a, a lake down from my house, and it's early December, we've just hit freezing temperatures, below freezing temperatures, and two days into those freezing temperatures, I decide I'd like to walk out on that ice. Now, your money says it's only been two days of freezing temperatures. It's probably just a very thin layer of ice. But I say, you know what? No, I'm not just going to walk out on the ice. I'm going to drive one of my friend's snowmobiles right out on the ice. No, better yet, I'm going to build a ramp. And I'm going to jump that snowmobile onto that ice. Most of you are going, you're nuts. But wait a minute, I believe that I can do it. I totally believe that I can do it. Now, let's say it's late February. We've had three months of below freezing temperature. That same lake, I'm looking at it, and I'm kind of doing this with it. Because I have a friend who fell through some ice earlier. So I'm very wary of it. Now the difference is the object that I have put my faith in. The object of my faith is what is important. It's not how much faith you have. Because I can have all the faith in the world that that ice, two days old, is going to hold up a snowmobile coming down 60 feet in the air. But you and I both know that ice is not going to hold. But I had a little bit of faith in three months worth of frozen water. It is the object 
of your faith that is important. It is not how much faith you have. It is the object. And Jesus Christ is the object of our faith. There's some questions you need to ask yourself when you are going, what am I going to decide? Object of my faith? That kind of... There are questions that you can ask. If we've already discussed that, I don't believe that you can create truth. There are questions that I think we should ask. How do I know that to be true? The faith, the belief that you have when you walk out those doors, how do you know it to be true? What about where do I get my information? Where did you get your information from? What about what evidence do I have to support my belief? These are all questions that I believe every one of us need to ask. I don't want you to trust my word. For some of you, I know it's going to take a little more research to believe that the Bible is true. But let me tell you this, God is not afraid of research. He's placed his thumbprint all through eternity. And he's saying, I welcome your questions. Bring them to me. I welcome them. And so I guess finally, in conclusion, why is Highland so Jesus-y? Why do we claim Jesus to be who he says he is? What is so unique about Jesus? C.S. Lewis presented the greatest argument that you can possibly present, I believe, in how you decide who Jesus is. C.S. Lewis says that Jesus is either Lord, liar, or lunatic. There are no other options. Jesus does not give you the option to choose that he was just a good man. Because if he was just a good man, then he was a liar. Because he told people he was the son of God. If he was just a good prophet, then he intentionally led people astray. Jesus himself does not give us the option to say he was just a good man. Jesus proclaimed these things. John chapter 10, the Father and I are one. John chapter 5, for just as the Father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the Son gives life to anyone he wants. Matthew 16, then they asked him, then Jesus asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human beings. Mark chapter 14, then the high priest stood up before the others and asked Jesus, well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus was silent and made no reply. Then the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah? the Son of the Blessed One. Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated in the, the place of power of, at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. John chapter 4, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. John chapter 8, Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I am not here on my own, but he sent me. John chapter 8, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. John chapter 10, why do you call it blasphemy when I say I am the son of God? After all, the father set me apart and sent me into the world. John chapter 10 again, but if I do his work, Believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I have done. Even if you don't believe me, then you will know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. John chapter 11, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. In John 14, 6, Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Paul writes, 
For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you are also complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and every authority. Jesus did not claim that he was a way to the Father. He said he was the way to the Father. He did not say that whatever gets you there is going to get you there. But he loved us enough to, to show the world that he was the way to the Father. And he is actively, continually telling the same story through generations. We join with the saints of old when we proclaim the Lord's life and his death. That he is the only way. I know these are difficult questions. I still wrestle with them. But man, when you get a correct view of who Jesus is and how big he really is. What can you do? But say, I trust you. 1 Corinthians says this, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. Jesus didn't say he was a way. And that is a very bold statement. In this life, there are tough questions. And in this life, you're going to struggle with some of these questions. And in this life, you're going to either search with your agenda or with the agenda of going, I want truth. And I want it so bad, I don't care what my agenda is. I don't care what my preconceived ideas are. I want truth so bad. And when that's your heart, Jesus says, come on. You want truth? Come here. You want life? Come here. You want the way? Come here. And in his single-mindedness and in God's standard being the same for all of us, where I see his love the greatest. He's not changing it. The message doesn't change. The story doesn't change. It's the same. Every one of us has fallen short of God's glorious standard according to our sin. That is our sin that we do not deserve to know him. But God made a way to us so that we would stop failing at our attempts to get to him. He made a very clear way in Jesus. Folks, this is why we are all about Jesus here. Not in a way that I'm going to kick you out the door if you're not about Jesus, but that if I can love you closer to the kingdom, that's what I'm going to do. And I may get on your nerves, but I love you too much to sit back and allow thoughts of pluralism infiltrate this world. Because Jesus made it clear one way. And this morning, I just want to give you a chance to respond. I don't know what your response is. I don't know what the Lord is dealing with you in your heart and in your mind and wherever He's dealing with you. But that you would just take this chance to respond to whatever He's calling you to. This morning, I, you know, and I, the Lord kind of gave me an image. My son, I don't know, I love standing in worship with my son. 
Like, I love just holding him. And he falls asleep most of the time. It's awesome. But very rarely does my son ever reach up and go, Dad. Very rarely does he do that. This morning, he did it. Because I think he was just sitting in his chair and he was really miserable. And he was like, get over here. But man, I, I wait for those days that he's doing that. Like, I get excited. I'm like, is he raising his hands for me? No, because he raises his hands for mommy all the time. But very rarely does, his, does he raise his hands up to grab daddy. And I feel like there are some of you in this room that very rarely do you raise your hands to the father. But can I tell you this? That he is anxiously standing there. Are they raising their hands to me? Because I'm going to pick them up. And I don't care if they drool and sleep in my arms. I guess for those of you in this room that maybe that applies to, I don't know. Maybe it's been a long time since you raised your hands up to dad. And said, God, I don't get it. But I'm going to raise my hands up. Would you pick me up? He anxiously awaits to pick you up to answer your questions, to hold you close to his heart, getting on his agenda. And so in this time that Nate plays, just respond how your heart will be. We have, some bla- we have prayer warriors sitting over there. We'd love to pray with you. I'm just going to stand off over here and, you know, maybe you just need to pray where you're at. Maybe you need to get on your knees. Maybe you need to stand up. Maybe you need to just be still. But as the Lord would lead you this morning, respond. Just respond.